You're listening to the Music Interval Theory Podcast with TC and Frank. Hello everybody, this is Frank and I'm welcoming you to another episode in the Music Interval Theory Podcast. Before we jump into today's session, let me actually welcome you to the new year 2024. <laughs> it's great that we all made it to another year. Let this year be your best one as an artist. And to make this happen, I want to invite you to listen to the full session about Unleash Your Creative Potential as an Artist. It's going to be an outstanding session packed with a lot of information. So let's jump right in. So guys, Unleash Creativity, Your Creative Potential. Let me quickly let you know where this all starts. It really starts with our beliefs and expectations. If you believe something is true, you will never question it. Now, if you have parents, and I assume you do, and if they told you that you can become everything later in life and you are a genius and you know you are wonderful, chances are that you actually will have a great life because you believe it. Unfortunately, it can also turn into the opposite. If your parents told you often enough that you are not smart enough to reach your goals, that you are determined, let's say, to have a mediocre life, chances are that you will have that life. And it all starts with that belief. And this is important for the subject of creativity. And eventually we will introduce you to the creative pool in probably four and a half minutes. So before we get there, it is way harder to just stop a belief instead of replacing it with another one, a more healthy one, one that serves you well. So here I'm giving you some examples and these little examples here, that's a negative belief. I can't create meaningful art because of my environment and the circumstances I'm in. So you are giving away the power to change your situation. That is a limiting belief. Now. It is definitely more healthy and also more fruitful if you replaced such a belief with, for example, I have the power to put myself in a better, a different environment and unlock the full creative potential. It does not negate this thing completely. It just reframes it. And that's the important part. That is what I mean up there with it's simpler to replace a belief with another one than just stopping a false belief. So also another quick example, doubts and fears mean I'm not a real artist. But this is something that I got to hear very often. So I'm in the education business for well, at least eight to 10 years now. And this is really one of the most common things that I got to hear from composers and musicians. They have self-doubt. And guess what? It's normal. Everybody has this. The question is not how to stop the self-doubts and the fears, but how to turn them into something that feels natural to you. It's part of the creative process. So start to embrace them. It will help you grow as an artist. That is really important. Again, it's just a rephrasement of this whole belief here. And then finally, I'm not a creative person. Creativity is a talent reserved for the chosen few which is not me. So that is also something that is exactly aligned with giving away the power. So let's rephrase this, for example, into something like, 
everybody can receive the same amount of creativity. If you're not feeling creative today, it's not your fault, actually. You simply have not established a connection to the creative pool yet. And here, this term shows up again, the creative pool. We had this already up there in the title. So let me give you a quick introduction to the creative pool. This is really how I, how I urge you to see this. Creativity is not inside you. Because if it was, then the moment you're not feeling creative, you're blaming yourself. And you say, well, I'm the problem because I'm not creative today. And that's, again, a false belief. So I suggest that you take this worldview, which means creativity isn't locked away inside you. It's not your fault if you're not creative or not feeling creative. It's just your job to establish or re-establish that connection with the creative pool to get its flow, its energy. So the big question is, oh, Frank, this sounds actually easy, but how do you establish the connection? Good question. We will get to this in a second. I want to give you some suggestions first. Suggestions that will lead to creative health. And health is the important term right here. So I'm giving you some phrases, some guidelines, I would say, that have served us very well, that we teach inside the academy. And those things, they will actually help you overcome a lot of creative problems. So the first one is the creative pool is universal and available to everyone, which means in essence, and I can show you this thing right here, I'm just a big fan of space in general. That is why I put this picture down there. You know, it's an infinite thing and you can't really measure it completely. It's expanding even. I just want to use this as a, you know, a little visualization of the creative pool because there are some similarities. I don't want to read all of these points to you because you can just do it on your own and quicker. But I want to highlight a few things and what that means. Don't believe that creativity is owned by anybody because this means you can't have access to it. <laughs> which is not a healthy worldview. So everybody can access this thing. And better even, it can't be used up. There is an infinite amount of creativity. In fact, one single thought can create a lot of creative thoughts. And we see this happen all the time. Just for example, put some guys into a room, let them brainstorm for only 10 minutes. And I guarantee all of those guys will have fantastic ideas on their whiteboard. And this is part of this creative flow. Somebody triggers an idea with something unconventional, let's say, and then people think about that and how they can connect this thought to their own experience and their own beliefs. And then something new comes out of that. We see this happen in composition all the time because this is the moment where we can introduce techniques to you. If you embrace that concept, generally speaking, then it will protect you from fearing failure, from also fearing criticism. Because guess what? If you come up with an idea as a receiver from the creative pool and somebody doesn't like it, it's not your fault. So you received something which didn't resonate with your client. So what? You just you know, have to come up with another idea, which is not hard. So I think this is a healthy worldview in general for artists, not just for the musicians or composers. Now, let me continue. Otherwise, we won't make it uh, until the great music that I also want to show you. Funnily enough, creativity is timeless. 
Now, what does that mean? You can't really measure the present. If you think about that, then it becomes obvious that you can either measure the time from the past to the present or from the present into the future. But the moment you are in the present, which a lot of psychologists determine that state as the state of flow, this is exactly what describes this present moment. And you can't measure this. That is why time flies by so quickly the moment you are feeling creative and you are feeling like, well, this is fantastic. Let me do something more. And then you, you know, just do stuff. And out of a sudden, it is three hours later and you didn't even recognize. That is exactly the state that we want to trigger. And again, the question comes up, well, Frank, how do you trigger that state? Wait for it. We will get there. Only a minute. I'm loving this little countdown here. Writer's block is a myth. Now, if you know Seth Godin, he is a marketing guru and he shared some fantastic thoughts generally. And one of his thoughts is writer's block is a myth. And I totally agree with him. Now, he states that as a marketer, you can write something, just a sentence. It can be a bad sentence, by the way, but you can do something. And if you don't like it, you can write another sentence. And if you did it often enough, you will trigger that flow state over time. So that being said, writer's block to me is actually a problem. Yes, I do recognize the problem, but the problem is not that you are blocked. The problem is that you are judging your idea the moment you come up with it. This is actually what might give you the feeling of being blocked because you write down some notes. Let's be concrete for musicians here. Then you come up with a little line and you play it back and you realize I don't like it. So let me do something else. You erase it. You write something else and you play it again. You don't like it. And then you get frustrated. So the problem is not that line. The problem is you judging that line way too early. And again, we can use technique to make the line more sophisticated and better and put context around it. That is actually what your job as a composer is, to put things into musical context. So if you can't do this, it is a lack of technique. It's not a lack of creativity. If you tell me you have writer's block, I will prove you wrong just by giving you enough techniques to start with. And then if you did a few of those things for only 10 minutes, please tell me again that you feel you have writer's block. Then overcoming the whole writer's block thing or even connecting to the creative pool. The process of creation, that is a big term because to a lot of artists, it's actually not clear that it is a process. A lot of artists told me that they believe that you either do something great or you don't. So it's binary. And if you can't come up with something fantastic, then you're not a real artist. As a professional, I have to say, I've watched enough other professionals to understand that creation is actually a process. And I haven't seen any pro composer who wrote down a fantastic symphony or composition from scratch in one go. Never, ever. It's always a process. And this process might differ from one guy to the next, which is fine because it is highly personal. But still, there is a pattern to it. And this is the most 
fundamental pattern that we could observe. And this is three-step process. It's gathering, sketching, developing. The Academy members know quite a bit about this process and why I'm using different colors right here. And I won't go into those things in this presentation today. But I want to quickly tell you what those steps are in the context of music and music creation. Now gathering down there, this is your idea, your initial idea. What do you want to do? Let's start with a little story, for example. So let's say you want to write music for a chase scene. Okay, a good place to gather would be maybe some rhythms, some motors, things that can repeat, that you can use to increase the energy, or even a little line that feels very hectic or some dissonant vertical structures. They don't even have to be chords. Just use stuff that reminds you of a chase, like little musical steps that you can throw in to catch some of those hit points in the scene or in the story. And those are your musical elements that you, at this stage, just put on the table. Don't even think of how you want to use them and if you like them or not, because you don't even have the context for them. Just put all the things on the table and then if it gets to the sketching phase, which is the organization of those elements. So now let's have a look at what we have. So we have a motor. Okay, let's start with a motor, a little viola pattern, let's say, which provides a bit of energy that is ongoing. And we tell the audience and the listener, prepare yourself for some action scene. That's the pulse that we are giving and we are setting the frame. On top of that, let's bring in some dissonance because we don't want the audience to feel comfortable since that's not the story we want to tell. And that is exactly what these elements can provide for you. A motor is a repetitive pattern on an instrument or an instrument section that you can use as a musical engine almost. Just imagine something, well in music we can also call this an ostinado. And you can have something that plays a little rhythmic pattern, something that goes like You know this little pattern. And this can serve as the basis. And on top of that, you can put in some other elements. You can have a line against it. You can even have a second motor with a different pulse. And then you go into polyrhythm which also can feel very interesting to the audience. And these are great musical functions that you can put together to control the energy and the emotion of your sketch. And I'm not even talking about the details here. This would be the developing stage. So I'm not paying attention to, well, what are the flutes supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with the harp? We will figure these things out in the developing stage. That's the detailed work. The sketch, this is about the skeleton, the musical skeleton that we need to flesh it out later. Just do these things stepwise. We will look at musical examples that show the gathering and the sketching and also the finished piece. I will show you these things in some musical examples so that you get an idea of what a skeleton can look like and how we can develop this thing further into something that is way more sophisticated and maybe even something that, you know, sounds like you would have no clue how to get there. Because most often that's the case. If you don't know the process, how somebody got there, it is like a mystery. 
And then you just label this composer as a musical genius because he obviously created something that you have no clue how to do this. He might still be a musical genius, but in most cases, I bet it is a process behind it. We actually did a few webinars only about this three-step process and they are on the YouTube channel. So you can absolutely rewatch those things if you want to. There are plenty of materials available. Now, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> if you ever used PC, <laughs> then you are familiar with these windows that keep on, you know, occurring on top of each other. And to me, it is a funny thing. That is why I wanted to use this graphic. As a Windows user, you are kind of familiar with this thing right here. And then you have to click on OK like 10 times to get to the root of everything. But again, experimentation and failure is a big and important part of the creative process. So if I asked you, do you think it is reasonable to believe that a guy who started composing music today will have massive success tomorrow? Well, obviously not. And then the opposite, if this guy would be persistent with his studies and with writing music over, let's say, 10 years, do you think that he still sucks at music composition? Probably not. <laughs> because he did it often enough and he failed often enough to understand what to do better and how to improve. So again, it is the natural way of moving forward. A lot of guys also say, you know, you have to fail forward. And there is some great truth in that. But the point is embrace failure and embrace experimentation. You are supposed to suck if you start an art in the beginning. Obviously, otherwise everybody would be a master. <laughs> And it's good that this is not the case. Let me actually quickly let you know who we are, because if that was not interesting to you, there is no sense in telling you who we are. <laughs> so that is why I want to do this last and quickly before we jump into some music. So we have on top here, that is my business partner, Thomas Jace Jones. And he is in the music business for, well, it is 40 plus years. It is more than 40 at this stage. His credits list for animation, the shows that he did in the area of animation is never ending. And I'm not exaggerating here. So he literally worked on all of the shows that I grew up on when I was a little toddler. Obviously, back then, I didn't know that he was the guy who was responsible for all the great music, let's say for the Gummy Bears or DuckTales, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Woody Woodpecker, Bionic Six, a ton of things, a ton of things. And then this is me still working my way up the career ladder, but still also have some great things on the credits list already, like some work for Mattel the latest Barbie show that they put out on all the streaming stations, for example. Also some work for Chinese theme parks. So the credits list is getting longer and longer. Then some good information for you in case you want to stay connected to what we do, what we put out. So we have this composer's toolkit with a lot of stuff in there. And that is exactly what I would encourage you to check out. It's a free thing. You can just sign up for free, get all the information. We have a YouTube channel, a podcast, some articles, all the good stuff for you to stay connected and find out more about interval theory and all the stuff that we teach. So we have a few things prepared right here. And I can make this a little bit bigger so that we can see the actual notes a bit easier. 
So that is what a typical skeleton that I create would look like. <laughs> and to some of you guys, you know, this looks rather sparse, like a few chords and some things are labeled in green. The things that are in green, by the way, this is the technique that I talk about in lesson 11, which is a four plus four structure, also known to some of the diatonic guys as the minor major seventh chord. And for those who like that sound, it produces a very mysterious sound. And that is fantastic for musical storytelling. So what I want to do is I want to play you this thing twice and I will start with the orchestral version because then this way the sketch actually becomes more impressive. We will listen to the piano version as well but afterwards. So that is what I would consider musical storytelling. And then also in contrast, let me quickly show you at least a part of the sketch. And so on. I will stop here. But that is an interesting thing here, this example, because it shows you very clearly that the emotion is already there, because that's the four plus four structure. And the rest is technique. And please don't tell me that you have writer's block. Let's go to another example. And this one here is an example from lesson 17, also from the composition course. And this covers a bit of bass movement. I want to do it the other way around. Actually, first, let me show you the sketch this time. 
And then we go into the developed version, which is not orchestral, but a band with guitars and I believe an organ. So let me first play you the piano sketch and this should be it. Here we go. Quick question, did you recognize this chromatic line here? I'm loving those chromatic connections. This is really fantastic. And for the Academy members, whenever I don't know what I want to do musically, then I start with a chromatic line. And this was true in that particular example down there as well. I had no idea what I wanted to have as an ending. So I started with this chromatic line and I realized, well, this is a good root tone to end with. And for that purpose, I then used the chromatic line first and put my structures on top later. But that's just a side note. So let's go through this sketch with a band arrangement, shall we? And that is this thing. I'm really loving it. And now you also understand why I called this thing top secret. But that is how you can get there. This is about bass movement. You just have to know enough technique to stay connected to the creative pool. It is absolutely the idea to start with a technique, then you get inspired by this technique and you make decisions based on your own voice. But you wanna have enough material to work with in the first place so that you can make proper decisions. 
And for that purpose, we need to have this connection to the creative pool. This makes making music fun. And that is the big difference to hunting for ideas and fearing that you can't make it to a deadline and all these things that just create pressure and take away all the fun. So speaking of fun, in this case, I started with a few structures that I came up with. I just want to, again, bring it down to the creative use of those elements. And this sketch here is a perfect example because it just shows you the various elements that I've used in all the different places. So I had four structures. Actually, these are the four ones in sequence. And then I'm just pulling ideas out of these four structures for all the lines. That was the first one. That is the second one. That's the first one in a different position. Then these are just chromatic leading tones following into this F sharp, because you know me by now. If I don't know what to do, I'm starting with a chromatic line. This one is the third structure with the notes exactly showing up as they were in the initial structure up there. And then that's the fourth one. So all this stuff is just creative use of the elements. I want to show you first the orchestration, then the sketch, because you will realize everything is in there already. The skeleton can live on its own completely. You can write these things rather quickly. Since that is technique, this is not me trying to figure out what I want to do. This is just using the technique and making decisions quickly based on my emotional response. So let me show you the orchestration of that thing, which I call the escape. And then we will listen to the piano sketch real quick. I know it sounds wild, but uh, once you see the sketch right here, all the stuff around it actually falls into place because it's nothing more than another motor here and there, a little bit of decoration on top, like a line that shows up or a musical step that I've used, but it's just filling the holes. This is really what I did in the orchestration. Let me show you what the sketch sounds like and you will realize how close the sketch already is to the orchestration. And now for all the diatonic cats out there, what's the chord progression in this piece? I have to warn you, that's a trick question <laughs> because there is no chord progression at all. That at least to me was one of the big riddles and mysteries when I started out as a composer. I had no clue how somebody could write such a piece that didn't follow any chord progression because all I did back then was strumming my acoustic guitar, playing chords and sang a line on top. 
And if you come from that background, it's pretty hard to transition into storytelling because this type of scoring has no connection to chords whatsoever. Vertical structures, yes, but there is not even one solid chord showing up right here. But that is the escape. I have one more example to show you. And that is based on one of my most favorite techniques. And you're already seeing some numbers here, six plus 10, four plus two. And now I wanna play you this thing here. And I will start with the strings arrangement because it is exactly what you're seeing. It's the exact same notes. So here we go. written and produced in 22 minutes. And I'm not saying this to show off, but to let you know it is the technique in the background that lets you write quickly. This podcast is powered by the Music Interval Theory Academy, your resource for getting clarity and confidence in music composition and orchestration. See you inside at musicintervaltheory.academy.com.